there's a movie that I watched. Uh, I was trying to think. It's been out a long time, years ago. Um, and it wasn't the greatest movie. It was a movie called Signs. Uh, it starred Mel Gibson. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. But what stuck with me in this movie was there was a scene in it that was just maybe two minutes long. It wasn't much. It didn't even wasn't the big point of of the movie. But in this movie, Mel Gibson's character is a widower, and uh, his wife has passed away. And you, you learn that very early in the movie. He has young children that he's raising by himself. And uh, as the movie unfolds through a series of flashbacks, you find out what happened to his wife. And, and in one of the scenes, it, sh- it shows you that his wife was in a, a wreck. She was in a car accident. She was out walking one night, and a car hit her and pinned her between a tree. And so he goes out. He gets this call as her husband to go out to see her. And the policeman meets him kind of at the edge of the scene and explains to him what's happened. He says, your wife's been hit, and she's pinned. And he's like, there's no way for us to move her. There's no way for us to save her, but she is conscious right now, and you can talk to her. And he looks at the police officer, and he says, so you're telling me this is the last time I'm ever going to speak to my wife? And she says, yes. And so he goes, and there's this scene where he's talking to his wife, and she's saying, you know, tell the kids this. And And it's this heartbreaking, like, gut-wrenching scene of, like, this moment of here's your last moment to, to talk to this person that you love and so I say it stuck with me more than anything in that movie just because for after that, for years, I would think uh, all the time, just different relationships, friendships I had. Part of it was my, my brother died very uh, suddenly when he was 29 years old, and I think it was around that time that movie came out. But I would think all the times with people I knew, is this the last time I'm going to talk to this person? I just started to have that thought. And I don't mean in a morbid way, just kind of like, if this is the last thing I say to this person, what do I want it to be? And so I made the point then and there with my wife and my children, when I drop them off at school, when they leave the house, the last thing I say is, I love you. And I try to say that every time. So it's like, if this is the last time I talk to them, that's the last thing they heard me say. Uh, But as I was thinking about just that idea and even deeper than that, considering if I knew, like in that movie, that this is my last chance to talk to this person, what would I want to tell them? What would I say if I knew I had two minutes? And this is it. This is the last thing I get to tell you. And it's a pretty weighty thing to consider if you really stop to think about it. What would you say? What would you say to those that you love the most? Because it reveals something about your heart and what you hold uh, most important and most dear in your life. And so I was thinking about that because today our text that we're looking at is the last time Jesus talks to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And we're going to look at this text today as we finish up in this series. We've been calling it Covenant Renewal, where we're looking at our church covenant. And our church covenant just means a promise, a promise that we're making to one another as the local body. These are the things that we believe God calls us to as a church, and we're promising to one another. And so I've been saying that each week for January. This is the fifth and final week we're doing that. But there's two lines in our church covenant that I want us to look at in light of this text in Matthew chapter 28. And so the, the fifth line in our covenant says this, We will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. And then the line that we looked at last week, I want us just to look at the very last line in it, but I'm going to read the whole thing. This is the eighth line down towards the bottom of our church covenant. It says, we will work together for the continuance of the faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, its ordinances, its disciplines and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor 
And then the last line, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. And so what we're promising to one another is that we're going to seek the salvation of our friends and family and that we are going to work together to see the gospel spread throughout all nations. And I would say we get that directly from Jesus's last words to his disciples, his command to us. What we often refer to as the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. Go teach them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And so Jesus tells us this. And I just want to point out to you. It says here in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Jesus set this meeting. He told them to come meet him and they come here together. And he knew that this is the last time and kind of the last things he's saying to them before he would ascend. I think we have a parallel passage in Acts chapter one. If you want to go read that, it kind of fills out some other things right before Jesus ascends. But it's the same message. Go make disciples of all nations. And so today I want us to just look at that passage, those those five verses there. There's so much that he says that's so important for us. And so this is the way I want us to look at it. First, who is Jesus talking to and who's he talking about? Right. So who's he talking to, but who is he sending them out to? The second thing, what are we to be doing? Third, where are we to do it? And fourth, how? Right. So who's he talking to and about? What are we to be doing? Where are we to be doing it? And how are we able to do it? And so let's just start with who Jesus is talking to and who he's talking about. And so you see real clearly there in verse 16, he says, the disciples went to Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had directed them. And so then he's sending them out to go make disciples of all nations. And so the first thing we see is Jesus calls his disciples, his followers together. And he's talking to his disciples and he's telling them, you're going to go make uh, disciples of all nations. You're going to go and do this now. And so what he's saying is it's pretty straightforward who he's talking to. He's talking to his followers, to his believers, the ones that have seen him, seen the risen Jesus, that have put their faith in them, that are putting their trust in what Christ has done and are following him and he's sending them out. But let me just remind you, I think this is obvious and hopefully very straightforward, but it, it bears repeating and, and just pointing out is that when Jesus says, go make disciples, And to make a disciple is to teach them to obey all that I've commanded, to come to faith, to be baptized, and then to to start to put those things into practice in every area of your life. That's the definition we use here as a church. A disciple is, is bringing every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus, under the power and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so we want every area of our life to be uh, faithful to Jesus, obeying all that he commanded, as Jesus says here. And so he's saying that to his disciples. But when you think about that, a disciple is going to go make disciples who makes disciples. And if each successive generation is obeying all that he commanded, that would mean that we are going to make disciples. And so what Jesus says here to those very first disciples is just as true for us as now in that line of disciples. Does that make sense? It's pretty straightforward. But if we're being obedient, just as they were being obedient, we too will make disciples. And so what Jesus is saying is not just to them, but it's to us. And so it's to all believers of all time to go make disciples. But then I want you to think about who he's talking about as he's sending them out. Right. So he calls his disciples together and they meet him on this mountain and he begins to speak. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so what he's saying is, I want you to go to all nations and proclaim the good news of of what I've done and who I am and make disciples. And so here's my question that I want you to consider. 
Who are the nations? Who are the people that he's sending them to and sending us to? How would you characterize the faith of the people he's sending them to? See, sometimes, and, and maybe this isn't your experience, maybe it's, it's just mine, but growing up in the church, this idea of discipleship was believers, an older believer with a younger believer helping them grow up in their faith, which is true. That is part of discipleship, not, not at all uh, disputing that. But if you read closely at what Jesus says here, is he talking about just believers with other believers? The answer is, well, that might be part of it, but it's certainly more than that. He's talking about believers with those that don't yet know Jesus. Go to all nations, people that have never heard and make disciples. And I tell you, even the context shows you that because he says, go to all nations and make disciples. But then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the mark that we've now become a believer. And so if you're making disciples of people that need to be baptized, they're not yet believers. Yes. Baptism is the profession of faith. Yes, I now have put my faith in Jesus. And so when we say, who is he talking to and who is he sending him to? He's talking to believers to go make disciples. But then he's talking to believers to to help other believers grow up in it. But those that don't yet know Jesus make disciples of them too. all nations. So how do we do that? If that's who and who we're sent to, how do we do that? And so part of that is going to involve uh, what we call evangelism. And maybe you've heard that word or you've grown up in the church or you've been around it. We talk about evangelism or evangelizing or evangelism explosion. Or we say things like uh, Billy Graham was the great evangelist. And we talk about evangelism and we say it a lot. But do we really know what it means and what it's called to be? Sometimes it becomes like a bad word in our society today because culture has become so relative. And don't you dare tell me what you think versus what I think. But so what is evangelism? Well, if you go back to the first century, this idea of an evangel was someone who proclaimed good news. And it wasn't even a Christian term. It wasn't something that started with Jesus or the church. It was even before that. In the Roman Empire, you had evangelists. Right. And so if you were an evangel in the Roman Empire, you would run into the town. Let's say uh, Rome marches out and they they take down an enemy and they win a war. And the evangelist would run back and come into town and explain, uh, exclaim the good news. We've defeated whoever. Or Caesar would have a decree of we're going to now do this. And the evangel would run from town to town and go in and stand and say, this is the good news of Caesar Augustus. And this is what he's doing. And so what evangelism means is just proclaiming the good news. It's actually a verb. Good newsing. Right. You're, You're saying the good news to people. And so that's what it meant in the in the time. And so when the scriptures, when we start to talk about evangelism or we say that today, we're talking about the good news of what Jesus has done and proclaiming that. And so, for example, like in uh, uh, Romans chapter 10, Paul's talking about how will they be saved if they haven't heard and how will they hear unless someone goes? And he says, blessed is the feet of those that bring the good news. And then he says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so he says the way in which people come to faith, the way God uses it is we proclaim the good news and people hear it and the Holy Spirit moves in their life and brings them to faith. And then they begin to put their faith in Jesus and they get baptized and then they begin to grow in that. And so when we're sent out to make disciples of all nations, including those that don't yet know Jesus, it's going to mean that we're sharing the good news of what God has done. Evangelism. We're going to be evangels. And so we're called to go and do that and share the good news. 
And so the good news of Jesus is that he's done for us what we could never do for ourselves. So often the good news, the gospel gets confused. It becomes like, well, it's good news that Jesus loves you and that you should try to follow his commands. That is good news. But that's not the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel is he's given us his commands. He's shown us what he's like. He's revealed who he is. And in doing so, it shows us that we've not done it. That we stand condemned in our sin. That we can never, ever do enough to make ourselves right with God. And so Jesus came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived the life that we haven't lived. And he died the death that we deserve. And now by grace, through faith, you can be reunited with God because of what Jesus has done. And if we mess that, or we miss that part, or we kind of mess that up, or we muddle it to be, just follow Jesus. Just try to do the things that Jesus does. And we leave out the part of what he's accomplished for us. It's not good news. In fact, it's the opposite because it will crush you under the weight of trying to measure up to something that you can never, ever do. And so the good news is what Jesus has done and accomplished for us. And so when we go in evangelism and the good news is pointing to what Jesus has done. We said this in Romans. I keep coming back to it because I think it helps crystallize like the picture in Scripture. But saving faith is transferring your trust from what you do to what Jesus has done. My faith is not in me, it's in Jesus. Because he's done it and he's finished it. And that's the good news. And so the first step of making disciples and growing in that is growing in the understanding of what Jesus has done for us, this evangelism. Now out of that, as we grow in that, and we grow in our discipleship, it's taking every area of our life, And bringing it under the lordship of Jesus. Applying the good news to every part of our life. And that's an ongoing process for every single one of us. Whether we've become a believer yet or we're not yet believer. We're still in process of that. Because there's areas even as a believer of my heart that I'm not fully believing everything that Jesus has done and what he said. And I still struggle with that. Especially when the the things of life kind of press in and they start to make me doubt or struggle with it and so i need to be reminded and so there's this thing that happens in the church or or in my life i've I've seen this and i want us to be real clear on this evangelism gets kind of siloed out here's evangelism and evangelists do that and they proclaim the good news and preachers do that and billy graham does that and missionaries do that and and we bring together and, and listen to the person talk and they'll tell us the gospel And then discipleship is something that you become a believer and you get over in the church and it's a small group and it's a Bible study and believers with believers. And we do that together and they get siloed out into these two things. But what I want us to see so clearly is that evangelism and discipleship go together like this. You can't they're not separate things. They're always together. Whether we're being discipled to faith or we're being discipled from faith to maturity, we're always going to hear the good news. The good news of what Jesus has done has to be right in the center of discipleship every step along the way. And they're not two things that we do in isolation, but they're two things that always go together. And so we need to make sure that we see it that way, that this evangelism and discipleship are always going together. It's both and always. Right? This is what Jesus did, is it not? He would go and he'd go along the way and he'd see people and he'd say, hey, come follow me. And they would begin to hear the good news as he proclaimed the kingdom and what he'd come to do. And then they'd come to faith and then he'd begin to disciple them into deeper relationship. 
It was never just this this moment and then this moment, two different things. It was all together along the way as we go, which is exactly what this text says, is it not? He calls them together. And in verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. As you're going, you're making disciples with those that don't yet know Jesus and with those that know Jesus but are growing in that relationship. And we're go as we're going together, there's going to be the good newsing of one another as we're doing this and as those even that don't yet know Jesus. And so there will be a gospel centered good news. That's what the gospel means. Good news or, or gospel centered discipleship. And so it's always going to be this idea of evangelism and discipleship together. And it's going to mark our relationships with one another, but with those that we meet along the way that we invite in. And that's what God is calling us to. And that's what we see in the New Testament. Those that don't yet know Jesus need to hear the truth of what Jesus has done. But those that do know Jesus still need to hear the truth of what Jesus has done. I need to be reminded There's areas in my life that I struggle with and I go, oh, and then I need to be reminded of the truth. It's the same thing you see here. If you look closely, verse 16, he he calls his disciples together on the mountain, which he directed them. And then it's really incredible verse. If you think about it, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. These are his disciples that he's called together and some are going, oh, not sure. They're still in process. They still need to be discipled. They still need to hear the good news as they're going. And the same is true in all of our circles and everything we're doing. That's going to be the case. And so we say, well, who is he talking to believers, to other believers and not yet believers? What are we to be doing? Evangelism, the good news of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. As we're discipling, those things are going to go together. Discipleship's growing in our understanding of that in every area of our life. Now the question becomes, well, where do we do that? Well, Jesus says all nations. If you read, which I think is a parallel passage in Acts 1, it says to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the the way Jesus says it. That's what Luke records for us in Acts chapter 1. Go uh, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's another way of saying all nations. Go everywhere. And so we go, well, where are we supposed to be doing this? And I think of like the the conception of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. We could say like where we live here, Dawsonville, North Georgia, the United States to the whole globe. And so if we think about that, we kind of parse that out. Well, we start where we are. Where are we supposed to be making disciples as we go doing this good newsing? It's right where we live and right where God has placed us. If you've come to faith in Jesus, then you are now sent If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are sent to make disciples who make disciples. That's a universal call of all believers. We're sent. We are now to be missionaries on mission. It's why we say here we're a missional church. And what we mean by that is that every believer is a missionary that's sent and we're on mission together. And so we're called to be a missional church, to be on mission, making disciples who make disciples. And so where do we do that? Well, we do that wherever the church is. And I say this often, but it bears repeating. Well, where is the church? It's everywhere you go. You are the church. We gather together as the church, but we don't go to church. You are the church. And so we go, well, where does the church? Everywhere you go. I, I was driving in this morning and I saw on my little 
map on my car. And it says Church of the Apostles. It marks the little spot right on the Google Maps. And I thought, how cool would it be if we could get Google Maps to put every member of our church and it says Church of the Apostles. And every time you pull up Google Maps, it's like Church of the Apostles is everywhere. Yes, it is. Because you are the church. The Holy Spirit is now indwelling you. You are the temple of God. You have been uh, brought into this relationship with him and he has sent you out. And so we need to be thinking that way, that we are sent out together. And so that's why we say in our, our, our church covenant that we want to be a loving and pure example to seek the salvation of our family and friends, the people that we come into contact with. And we are all sent in that. I'm fond of saying, and maybe you've heard me say this, wherever you live and the neighbors you live next to, God put you next door to them, not me. And that doesn't mean I'm not there to help you or to walk with you or to have uh, support you in those relationships as you go and you're seeking to make disciples. But God has placed you there. Now, that can be kind of scary depending on your personality. If you're not the outgoing kind of go get them and that can be a little bit like, oh, you're telling me I'm the one that's supposed to be. I'm the front door of the church for this person. Yes, you are. You are the church. And you have the Holy Spirit. But that can be kind of overwhelming. But I would just remind you, if that seems scary, what Jesus does and says in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, he takes 72 of his disciples and he sends them out. And he goes, I want you to go two by two and you're going to go out into the towns and you're going to proclaim the kingdom. You're going to do some good newsing. You're going to proclaim who I am and what I've come to do. And you're going to go into the towns and you're going to say this. And he gives them this gloriously uh, simple advice. He says, you go into the town and when you meet a person, you say, peace be with you. And if your peace rests on them and they welcome you in, you stay there. And you love them and you invest in them. And he says that if they don't, you dust off the the dust from your shoes from your feet and you go on and you move on to the next place. What Jesus says is this. Go into the town, go into your life, the people that you're in contact with and the people that lean in, that are seeking relationship, that seem to get along, spend time there and love them and good news them. Tell them the truth of who God is and begin to do that in those relationships. And that's it. It's what he tells you to do. It's pretty simple and straightforward if you think about it. And so instead of like, I've got to go door to door with pamphlets or I've got to go all the way around the world or I've got to do all these things, which maybe God's calling you to do that. But he tells you just to go right where you are and lean into the people that are leaning into you in those relationships and speak the truth. It's actually not that complicated. I've mentioned a couple times this year I put a. a new whiteboard thing in our kitchen. And we've been putting new city catechism on it each week, but I've also been putting a verse and then a prayer. And the prayers from a book a friend of mine wrote a couple years ago, and it's just these short little prayers. And he did drawings with each one. And so I really love this book because they're just simple. But the one that was written on my board last week. So here I'm working on this sermon, sitting in the kitchen, and I'm looking at this. And it says, may I have the vision and courage to join God in the places he's already working rather than feeling responsible for bringing him with me. Or another way to say it is maybe you've heard people say this before. Stop asking God to bless all the things you're doing and get involved in the things God's doing because they're already blessed. And what we're saying is you follow God where he is. 
And so when Jesus says, you go make disciples and you go in and the people that are leaning in, that's where you give your time. Where the person of peace is there and they're leaning in. So love them right where they are. And so when we go, well, where are we supposed to be doing this? In our neighborhood, in our jobs, with our friends, with our family, with the people that were right in front of us. We're to be looking for the ways in which God is working and lean in and continue to be faithful to what he calls us to. But what about when Jesus says, go to all nations? Right? That's here in our home and our work and where we're going. But what about all nations? And, and the first thing I would say to that is maybe God's calling you to go. Maybe he's calling you, if you can hear me, you to go somewhere on the face of this planet where the gospel's not there. Or it's very, uh, not many people have heard or there's not many believers in these areas. Maybe God's calling you to go to that. And if you feel that, as a church, what we want to say to you is would you come tell us. Let that be known. Let us walk with you and pray with you and help equip you and help support you and then send you out. Because God calls people to do that. And we want to be a church that's sending always because of this mission that God's given us. And so maybe that's it. Maybe part of it is that we've had people go before from here. We, we sent uh, Chris Fogelsong out to plant a church in Jasper who used to be here. And people would ask me all the time, why are we letting Chris go? Everybody here love Chris. And it's like, well, God's called them to go plant a church there. We want to be faithful to what he tells us to do. Go make disciples of all nations. And so we, we partner with Acts 29 here. We are an Acts 29 church, which is a church planting network. And so we give money to that and we partner with other churches. Acts 29's singular focus is to plant gospel-centered churches throughout the world. There's over 700 Acts 29 churches all over the globe now. And so we partner with Acts 29. That's one way in which we go to all nations. We support uh, Virgil Jones and his family in Quebec, Canada. They are in an area that is less than 2% Christian where they are. And so we've been supporting Virgil for, for many years. And they are a wonderful light in a very dark place. And we take trips at different times to help them and encourage them and, and meet needs that are there. And so we love that we have that partnership with them. We also support a, a Kevin and Rahela Conway. They are in Budapest. They're stationed in Budapest. But Kevin is basically a one-man traveling seminary. And he goes all over Eastern Europe and now in Russia to equip pastors for the work of the ministry. And so we, by supporting them and having those relationships with these different missionaries and church planners, we're helping to see the gospel go throughout all nations. Uh, some of you know, if you've been here for a little bit, last year I got the opportunity to go to Uganda with another Acts 29 church. Emmaus Church is down by the Mall of Georgia. They are an Acts 29 church. We've had a relationship with them for a long time. And I got to go with some of their pastors and some other Acts 29 guys to Uganda and we went there and over 500 pastors from all over Uganda came and crammed into this building to learn how to teach the Bible better, to preach and teach. And we got to help equip them to do this, to rightly handle God's word. And so one of the things we've been talking about with the Mayus church and what they're trying to do is we want to see a seminary started in Uganda. There's no gospel-based seminary there. 
And so we're working to that end. And so we want to give generously. We want to continue to pursue that as a church that we could see a seminary planted in Uganda. And so it's not just here, but it's throughout the whole world that God sends us with the glorious good news of what he's done. And so when we think about all that, whether it's just us with our neighbors and our friends, and I don't want to say just, that's just as important. That God has placed you right where he's placed you and he's called us into that. But then going throughout the entire globe, how do we do that? And there's two things Jesus says here. I want to make sure that we see this as we end. In verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And I want you just to stop and think about that for just a second. We start to think about uh, going to Uganda or sending people out or, or going to Canada where so many, such a dark place where so many people don't yet know Jesus. And you go, how's that going to work? And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus has come, the God of the universe, and he took on flesh and he stepped into this life and he defeated sin and death on our behalf. And his glorious resurrection is the stamp of God's approval of everything that Jesus did. And he raises from the dead and then he says, go make disciples. And he says, I am ruling and reigning over every square inch that you will go. I am the Lord over all, over the heavens and the earth. So go make disciples. I have authority over all things. And so when we get to that kind of fear or that struggle, I was thinking about this is probably not the best example, but hopefully it makes sense. It made sense to me. Uh, years ago, I worked in an architecture firm and I worked for this godly man that owned the firm that was just a great guy, probably the best boss you could have. And Robbie loved the Lord and he was just a gracious man. And he was an incredible architect, brilliant man, really good at what he did. And my friend and I got hired to work at his firm. And we were like the youngest guys. I think it was like 23 or 24. We we're like the youngest people that worked for him in this big company. And we had a boss that was over us, our project manager, who was probably the hardest person I've ever heard, had to work for in my life. He was rough. He was not kind. He liked to belittle you regularly. He liked to make a big spectacle of what you didn't know. And it was hard to work for him. But Robbie was so kind and gracious. And every once in a while, he'd call on like a Friday afternoon. It'd be like two o'clock and my phone would ring and Robbie would say, hey, come meet me at the elevator. I'm going to take you and Ryan, my friend. We're going to go to a job site. I want to show you some things. They'd go, okay. And he'd hang up the phone and I would get up and the not so nice boss would go, where are you going? And I go, uh, Robbie just said to go meet him at the job site. <laughs> you know, as a 24 year old, it was a little bit like Robbie said, <laughs> see you later. And it was like the thing that normally like uh, gave you anxiety and, oh, no, he's going to come at me and all these things. Suddenly the boss said, you can get up and go. And it was like, see you later. Robbie told me to go meet him. And so when we think about the fear and anxiety that comes with sharing our faith. Or your neighbors or your friends, and what would it look like to actually name the name of Jesus and tell them the king of the universe has said to you all, I have all authority, go make disciples. There is not one square inch that I am not ruling over that you will step foot on, that I am not the king of kings. Go make disciples of all nations. And then if you look closely, the last thing he says, you teach them to observe all that I command you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not only is every square inch that you're going to step on mine, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you in all of it. 
And so when we really start to grasp that, this idea of going and making disciples, good newsing, proclaiming who Jesus is and what he's done, there's really nothing scary about it. There's nothing that's outside of his control. He's calling us into something that we were made for, to glorify him and to love others. We're truly loving others when we're pointing them to the glorious good news of what Jesus has done for us. And that's what we're called to be. And so when we think about who we are as a church, we are on mission together to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is. And that includes all of us. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news that you have saved us, that you have brought us into the relationship that we are created for, that you've done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And we thank you for that. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the way you see your creation that each person we see in our life, that we'd see the truth that every single one of us, all of us, desperately need you in the same way. And so give us opportunities to share the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that we would see many be discipled to faith, to give a profession of, of your great love for them, but then also from faith to maturity. And as we grow in maturity, that we would continue to make disciples that make disciples as your glory covers the face of the earth. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.